We're going to be in Exodus, uh, hold, hold on, chapter 3 and 4. Um, don't worry, um, I, I promise you it won't like mean it's extra long sermon. But Exodus 3 and 4 is where we're going to be. It is a long passage of Scripture, so we're going to uh, kind of summarize and, and draw out a couple different verses and things like that as we walk through that. Uh, most of you all know this last week uh, I had to do a, a funeral service for a, a very good friend of mine when uh, I was younger. It was uh, my best friend from childhood. I appreciate your prayers during that time. Uh, it's very one of the most difficult sermons I've ever had to do at a funeral. Um, very emotional. Um, I knew I would be emotional, and uh, Jamie knew I'd be emotional. She was trying to get me to talk about it all week. I just uh, couldn't get myself to do that and decided the best time to do it was when I was in front of a bunch of strangers. And uh, so, uh, But I got through it, and uh, it really helped me process stuff, and really uh, the family was really... Uh, felt the love and, and, and just good time reminiscing with them. But as I was preparing for that, that message and that funeral, um, just spending time remembering, you know, that those, those times I had, uh, it was my, my friend Kurt, uh, spending time remembering those, those years we had together. And, and I knew Kurt, and we were best friends during the imaginative childhood years which I think are the best years because, I mean, anything goes. The world's your playground. And, and so um, just remembering those times and to share some of those stories that were, you know, I, I think were funny. And I didn't share everything because some of those are, you know, were just for me and the family. But um, we need those times in life to remember. And a lot of times we do that when we come to moments of loss and sadness. Um, but the Bible also reminds us that we need those times in life to remember uh, in the moments of struggle with our faith, uh, uncertainty, maybe you're wrestling with doubt, maybe you're struggling with a time of, of faithlessness. And so we need these times to look back and remember what God has done and what God uh, has been preparing us for in this mo moment. And that's where we're going to be this morning is we're going to be focusing on going with God, the act of remembering and, and focus on these memorial stones which take place in Joshua chapter 3 and 4. These two chapters are, are tied together. I mean, they should be read as one sequence of events. Um, you can read those two chapters on your own uh, if you'd like later this afternoon. It's the crossing of the Jordan River, and this is a key moment in the book of Joshua. And I know we've been spending months just getting up to this moment and the focus has seemed to have been on Jericho and what was going to happen there and, and the land around Jericho. But the Jordan River was going to be a pivotal moment for Joshua and the Israelites. And the Bible lets us know that as they get ready to cross, that this was not the most uh, opportune time to cross the Jordan River. In verse 15 of chapter 3, it tells us that the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of harvest, and sure enough, after the Israelites crossed the Jordan River, you can read in chapter 4 that the waters came back and overflowed the banks. This was not the time to take a large group of people with children and cattle and all their materials across to go in the promised land. But this is exactly what God is calling his people to do. And I just want to kind of summarize the story if you're not familiar with it. Like I said, we're going to look at a couple passages of scriptures we walk as we go through this. But... Basically, what has happened is Joshua and the Israelites have been preparing. It seems to, scripture seems to point that it's been about six days, seven days that they've been preparing to enter into the promised land. It's called the promised land because it is the promise that God had given to Abraham on this land when he and Lot separated. He tells Abraham to look to the north, south, east, and west, and all these things will belong to you. So this is generations and hundreds of years leading up to this moment that Joshua is eagerly awaiting and expecting to go into the promised land. Of course, he has his own issues that he is having to wrestle with, which we'll deal with as we get further into Joshua. But this is the moment of truth in chapter 3 and 4 as they've now set up camp just on the shores of the Jordan River. And it's, okay, now how are we going to get across? How are we going to get through this? And so the Lord comes to Joshua and delivers his plan. And you got to laugh at the Lord's plans in Scripture when he reveals these things because it wouldn't have been our plan. 
God's plan for Joshua is he wants him to get the Levitical priest to pick up the ark. The ark was the physical representation of the presence of God within the people of Israel. That God's presence was with them. He dwelt in the midst of their camp. So the priests are to pick up this ark and they are to go into the Jordan and step on the banks of the river. At this point in time, the river is going to part, and it's going to part upstream and downstream. So all this water that is overflowing the banks is going to stop and cease automatically and build up like a wall of water, which should bring some similarities to something we may have read earlier in Scripture in the book of Exodus when you had good old Moses and he did the same thing with the Red Sea. And God does point to that, and we'll look at that here in a moment. But as the priests stand on the shores and the water parts and breaks, we're told it is then the priests are to make their way into the midst of the river, or where the river would have been, and then the people of Israel are to begin to cross. But before they cross, Joshua has one more thing he has to do. He has to select ten men, one from each tribe of Israel, that as they go across the Jordan River, they are to pick up a stone. It's not like a little rock. It obviously is heavy, as the Scripture says. They're to carry it on their shoulders, and they're to take it across to the other side of the Jordan River. And once everybody has gone through on dry ground, the Bible makes sure we understand it is dry ground. This is God's act. That The priest will come out with the ark, and when they come out of the ark, the water will come back together and overflow its banks once again as it is the time of harvest. And when they get to the side, the men with the large 12 stones will begin setting up these 12 stone memorials as an act of remembrance of what God is going to do. This is a huge moment because Israel is still learning to trust not only Joshua, but they're still learning to trust God and his power over all things. And they're going to need that trust as they head into the promised land to take on these fortified cities, these kings and these armies. And so God gives them this incredible example of his power. The Israelites are experiencing a lot of newness, and we all like new things, don't we? To a point. We like new things if we choose new things, but we don't like new things if it's change, right? We don't really deal with change that well. That's why I've gotten so much praise with this center aisle, because we love change. No amens. All right. Well, for Israel, it's a new year. Chapter 4, verse 19 lets us know that. It's a new month for them. They have a new leader who's been the leader over them for only a couple months now. Uh, and part of, those, part of that time was in a period of mourning over Moses. They're going to go off into a new adventure and a new beginning. A lot of newness going on that's going to require them to have faith and trust in the thing that has stayed the same. And here's the thing that has stayed the same through all this. They're still following the same God. And they're still leaning upon the same promise that he had given to Joshua, that he had given to the people, that he had given to Moses, that he had given to Abraham. But it's going to require faith. And this Jordan River is the very first battle of the promised land. I never thought that because I always thought Jericho would be the first battle. But this is the first battle of faith that we are going to have to trust God in this particular moment in time of year. As mentioned, verse 15 of chapter 3 tells us that the Jordan overflew, over, was overflowing all its banks throughout the time of harvest. If you look in verse 17 of chapter 4, after they had crossed, we're told that the waters came uh, back on the shore and they overflowed as they once again. I gave you the wrong verse, chap, verse 18 of chapter 4. The waters of the Jordan returned to the place and overflowed all its banks as before. And so this wasn't the most ideal time. They had to rely on God, but this was the lesson that God wanted them to do to understand is that for them to take the promised land, it had to begin to understand that they were going to have to rely on God to do what only God could do in this moment and throughout this conquest. It did not matter how many Israelites there were. It did not matter that Joshua was with them. What mattered was God was with them. And God was leading this expedition. And God wanted the people of Israel to turn their hearts and their eyes to Him. He did not want His people to forget what He had done and the lessons that He had taught Him. And this is one of the purposes we have with the Jordan. If you look back in chapter 3 and verse 7, we read, the Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that I was with, as I was with Moses, 
so I will be with you. Again, we have to remember the Israelites are just now learning to trust Joshua as their leader. He had been with them from the very beginning, but now he is the guy that is talking with God and leading the people of God. So they're learning to trust him, just like we learn to trust people who come into our life, and it takes time. So God gives Joshua this event with the Jordan River so that the people of God can learn to trust that God is with Joshua. And it worked. If you jump to chapter 4 and verse 14, it says, On that day the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they, being the people of Israel, stood in awe of him, just as they had stood in awe of Moses all the days of his life. And this is a momentous event in Joshua's life. It seems to imply up to this point the people of God were willing to follow Joshua, but they were still wrestling with uncertainty. Is this guy really the right guy? Is he really going to do what needs to be done? Should we look at him and respect him in the same way that we, should, that we respected Moses? We've got to keep Joshua's big shoes to fill. Moses met with God face to face. He had his own tent outside of the camp where he would go and he would meet with God and converse with God and he had such experience with God when he would come back into the camp of Israel they asked Moses to cover his face because his face would be lit up after being in the presence of God and now Joshua is stepping in as the leader of these people and it takes this event in in the Israelites life and Joshua's life for them to say okay yes he's the guy And this is what we all need. We all need today to know that the people that we are following are following God. That they are following the instructions of God. To know that that they are not leading by their own intuition, but instead they're allowing the wisdom of the Word of God to be what guides them and what leads them. Your Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And that should go with preachers too. You know, there, there's, there's a thing that when we went through this whole pastor search committee process, which, amen, Charlie, it was a wonderful time for you all. And, uh, but they went through background checks. They, they did phone call interviews. They listened to uh, sermon messages that they could find online. I'm sure maybe you've had a few sent to you as well. They got resumes. They called uh, people on the references for their resumes. And I don't know if you met with anybody else, and you don't have to tell me that. I don't need to know. I want to think that I was the only guy you were interested in, but I, that's probably not the case. Um, but they went through this entire process, and here's what they're trying to weed out. Is this person following God... Or does he just sound good? Does he look good? I mean, but is this, is this really the pastor that God is calling to this church because this pastor is following the good shepherd? And, and I can tell you through my own life that God has called me to remember those moments that it is not about me. It is about me following him, that I do not have the wisdom, the power, nor the strength to lead this church to where it needs to be. But if I tune myself to God's wisdom and God's words and I cling to Him, then I can be the leader that you need me to be. And so I'm asking you to continue to pray for me as your pastor because just like you, I go through moments of struggle. I go through moments of doubt. I go through moments of questions. I get attacked by the enemy, believe it or not. And so I have to go to these times where I remember. And so like you, I have memorial stones in my own life I remember when I was saved. I remember when I was baptized. I remember those times in my life where I had that prodigal moment in life in my college years where I I realized I was not living for God. I was not glorifying God. And even in the last two and a half years, I've had moments of struggling and doubt. Am I doing the right thing? Am I the right person for this position? Am I the right job? Am Am I a good enough pastor to do what needs to be done? And I have to go back and remember a memorial stone that God put in my life when he called me to Stratford and he brought us together as a church family and the doors and the walls that he knocked down that only he can knock down. I mean, God dealt with banks for me. He battled those wars with, with paperwork and loans and all that stuff and he knocked down those walls. He gave us a house when the only other house we could find was piles of dirt that weren't going to be built for another six to eight months. I mean, God continued to lead us to the right place and guide us to the right place to solidify, look, this is where I am placing you to lead this church. And as I bring you to this place, you are to continually cling to me. The people of God 
here in Joshua to know that Joshua was the one that God called. And I'm telling you that I'm the one that God has called to this church because God has continued to remind me of those things and he's going to continue to build us up as a church. And here's something I've, I've related to some of our, our leadership. I believe Harvest Hill is in a moment of transition, just like the Israelites are in a moment of transition. If you looked around, you've probably noticed there are a few faces that aren't with us that have been with us in the past. But if you also look around, there's a, a lot of newer faces that weren't with us in the past. And so we're in this period of transition. And just like the Israelites, it is a tough time of transition. I was speaking with Jackson this morning. I call it, we call ourselves Harvest Hill. I believe we're in the moment of harvest. And the part of the harvest where we're going out in the soil and we're working the soil and we're planting the seed and, and it's hard work, it's strenuous work. You don't always see what you're doing, but it begins to produce fruit down the line. And so you may get to a point in life where you're just struggling and you're fed up and you're looking around and like, I don't know what's going on here. But remember, this is where God called you. This is where God has led you, and God has called you here for a purpose, and praise the Lord, it isn't just to sit in the seat. God wants to use you because you can only do what you can do for this church by the power of God in you. You have certain characters and qualities and talents and techniques and outlooks and mannerisms that all bring glory to God for specific settings in this church so now it's time for us as a, as a church to begin, okay, God, where do you need me to be that you might receive the glory? For me and my family, it was Stratford, it was Harvest Hill. And God made it completely evident in, in those times where I struggle, I remember to that memorial stone. But this Jordan River was also so that the people were to know that God was not just with Joshua, but God was with them. Look in verse 10 of chapter 3. And Joshua said, Here is how you should know that the living God is among you, and that He will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Hivites and the Perizzites and the Girgashites and the Amorites and the Jebusites. This Jordan River event wasn't just so God can be like, Look what I can do. It was for Joshua, but it was also for the people of God to know that God was with them. He was over them. He was in their midst. It was the evidence of His presence upon them. It was the proof that God opens and closes doors that no one else can open and close. God can knock down walls that no one else can knock down. And the evidence that God is with us sometimes isn't always the miraculous event. I mean, we want to see the miraculous. We want to see the Jordan River and the Red Sea crossings and things like that. But the Bible reveals that the reminder that God's presence is with us sometimes comes through discipline. That God disciplines us because we're His children. Because He loves us. And so He's trying to get us to where He needs us to be and where He wants us to be and where it be for our ultimate good. And sometimes that takes discipline just like he, we discipline our own children. We also know that God's presence is with us because God speaks to us through His Word. You know, if you were to read the Word of God and not be a believer, it would just be words on a page. But because you are a believer, you have the Holy Spirit inside you to give you this insight and this wisdom and what the voice of God is wanting to speak to your heart. We know that God is with us because He's our shepherd. He guides and leads us. We know God's with us because He's relational. And in my own life, I've seen how God has been with me in my own memorial stone. One of those was with Jamie. You know... As a, a teenager coming into my early 20s when I was at SBU, I mean, if you go, if, if we have any students want to go to SBU, not trying to, you know, pressure you into SBU or anything like that, but if you want to go there, I mean, best of luck, but here's fair warning. Everyone starts dating within the first week. There's this pressure at SBU that when you get there, I mean, the, the slogan is a welcome week, and that's when the freshmen come in and get them oriented, is ring by spring or your money back. And that's kind of the mentality. Everybody, like... I'm serious. Girls come in for some reason, except the one I was interested in. The girls come in looking for the guy that they're going to marry. And the guys come in every year if they failed the year before, you know, sophomore or junior. Well, we got a new class coming in. Maybe one of these will work. And, and so it goes on over and over again. And there's all this pressure like, well, if I'm not dating, something must be wrong with me. 
That's a strange mentality, and I think we, we put that on, on people even today, but SVU is just a small group of people that you seem to know everybody faces, so it's just a mounting pressure. And while I saw Jamie my second year, first year, nothing stuck. My second year, man, don't, don't fail twice. And so I, I, I pursued her. I know I shared this story in the past and things like that, and it just wasn't working, it wasn't working, it wasn't working. And until I changed my pursuit of, to not pursuing Jamie, but pursuing God, until my relationship with God got right, that door was not going to be opened. And, and I saw how God's presence was on my life, even in these little minute details, and even in our marriage. You know, the first test of our, of our relationship was she was going on a mission trip and I was starting my very first ministry position where I was actually receiving a salary. And we didn't know if God was calling us to do two different worlds, if, if he's going to call her to full-time missions and me to this ministry, and, and we didn't know. And so we spent a month and a half almost apart. She was on the other side of the world, and I was in a little place in Illinois. And, and in that month, we were... We were taking journaling and writing things down and doing our quiet time. And almost the exact same time in the month of June, she read a passage out of 1 Peter. I read a passage out of 1 Peter. And I said, I'm going to read that to her the, the next time I see her. And all the way around the world, she said, I want Mike to read that to me the next time he sees me. And then I will know he's the one. So when I saw her and she was back for that first weekend, we walked to church for some odd reason. It was a beautiful humid summer morning, and on the way back from church, I said, oh, I almost forgot, not really, but I said, I had to have some sort of entry into the conversation, I want to read this to you, and as I read her that passage, her eyes went, and she goes, well, all right, I didn't know that meant like the, the deal was signed right then and there, but I mean, that was like I do before we officially made I do's, uh, we didn't do any, I, anything that you shouldn't do before I do's, but anyway, she said, all right, and so we were together, and, and we knew this was what God had led us to do. And so if you're in marriage, and you have those moments where, man, marriage is tough. If, you, if you've been married for a while, and you've yet to have an argument, something's about to explode. I mean, you've got, you've got to have conversations. In those moments where we're frustrated, and we look at the other person like, man, you just need Jesus again type of moment, we remember back to this time where God orchestrated this. God's presence was in our life. And so we remember through these moments in our life. And a similar thing with my call to ministry, which I don't want to get into right now. But the other thing they were know is not only that God was with Joshua and God was with them, but the people were know that God was faithful to his word. Verse 10, it mentions all these wonderful names of different types of people. What God was reiterating to the people of Israel at this moment was, look, before a battle could even be fought, I've already won the victory for you. Because that is what I have promised. And I'm faithful to my promises. That's God's word to us. Before a battle can be fought for our faith or in our faith, God has already won the victory. He's already seen what we're going through. Nothing surprises him. Nothing you know, takes him off guard. Before we could sin, God declared our victory when we place our faith in Jesus Christ. And this promise in verse 10 of, of, of driving out the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Jebusites, this was the promise God gave to Abraham. For Joshua was even born, for this generation was even born. It was a promise that God gave to Moses that some within this camp didn't even, weren't even around for that time when that promise was revealed to Moses. This is a promise that God gave to Joshua, we've seen at the beginning of the book, and this is a promise God was speaking over to his people. And we have these memorial stones where God says, you know, I am faithful to my word. And I had that moment in life when, when in ministry. You know, ministry is tough. That's why I appreciate and I beg you to continue to pray for me as I pray for you. About 12 years ago, Ethan's going to be 13, so not, not 12. Abby's 9, so 8 years ago. Do you, anybody else do that when you figure out the timeline? 
about eight years ago, uh, I was in my last position as a youth pastor. Um, some of y'all already know that about me. And I'd been at that church for five years, just um, just pouring in, and, and there were some struggles and things like that. And um, I came into work, um, into the office, and went into my into my office and began to prep for, for whatever lesson was coming up. I think it was a Monday. And uh, I had a delivery to make that day. I was going to be taking a backpack ministry uh, that we did through the church to the school that Jamie was teaching at at the time. And so I knew I had that on, on my schedule, but most time was just kind of uh, Bible study prep and sermon prep stuff for the youth ministry. And uh, so I get in the office, and shortly after I'm in, I'm asked to come into the pastor's office, which is, is, wasn't out of the norm. Um, you know, we would, we would talk frequently throughout the week, and, and usually every week we would have a time together. As I came into his office, um, I sat down, and this is straight to the point. says, this is going to be your last week with us. Matter of fact, you can go ahead and go home now if you want, and we don't expect you to be here Sunday. Uh, I mean, just, just moment, it was like a shock. Uh, the, and so I didn't really know how to process it, so I just did what was already on my schedule to do and took the backpack to... Jamie's school, which probably wasn't the best thing, because when she saw me, she saw my face was pale, and she's like, what's wrong? I'm like, uh, I get, got fired. Um, um, and, and so I had to leave her at school with crazy kids for the rest of the day, so sorry about that, now that I think about it. Um, but it, it, it shocked me because there was no, there's no explanation. And it shocked me even more, even though we were told not, we didn't have to be there Sunday. We were like, well, we're going because i got to see these kids one last time. Um, it shocked me even more that the, uh, we had a, a ministerial uh, team, so they kind of oversaw the, the staff. Uh, only one person on that team knew about the decision. Uh, no one on the finance or budget committee knew about that decision. Only a couple deacons knew about that decision. And there were people in the church just assumed we were maybe moving on to another church. And so we just had to set the record straight. So you, I, we don't know. You have to talk to the pastor. He basically said that this is it. Um, and so it's in his court. Um, well, during that period of time, you know, blessing is I got to be with Abby in a time that I wouldn't have gotten if I was full-time staff. And I, I can never... You know, you just can't replace those times with your kids that you get. But during that time, I was in a wrestling moment about, you know, if this is ministry, I don't even know if I want to do it. You know, because we've had some other issues with ministry, and, and it's a struggle and things like that. But, God, if this is it, then I don't even know if I want to do it. And so I, I had a period of several months just like, God, what are you doing? What do you call me to? What do you lead me to? And it was in that time, um, and I was mad. I mean, I'll just confess. I was mad. I was mad at the church. I was mad at God. I was, I was uh, frustrated. And um, but it was in that time I was on a walk with Abby, and she was just a little pooper trooper at that moment. And, um, you know, so I was pushing around the, the stroller around the block. And, and, and I, I hope you've had these moments where God just speaks very clearly to your heart. It's not like an audible thing, but your heart hears it. And as I was groveling and complaining and, and, and thinking about what else I could do, God just spoke in a very loving way, but a very firm way. He said, listen here, Mike. I called you to this, and I haven't called you out of it. And we'll, it was hard to fully grasp, but that was what I needed. I needed God to solidify that stone when he called me into ministry. My dad didn't call me into ministry even though he's a pastor. My brother didn't call me into ministry even though he's a pastor and was going into the pastorate. Nobody else told me, you know, you should be a pastor. Well, I had people when I was younger say, oh, you're a preacher's kid. You're going to be a pastor when you grow up. But no one said, you know, this is your line. You know, I didn't fill out a, one of those things at school to figure out what my future occupation going to be, and pastor popped up. Um, it was something that God called me to and made it very clear this is where God was calling me to. And God had to remind me in that moment that he called me to this and he is with me in this. And so we got to keep moving. And then that brought 
us eventually back to Missouri, and I began to get clarity. But we have these moments in life where we need to know that God is faithful to His Word. Because you know it just as I know it. Things are not going to go the way you think they should go all the time. You may in here ever have it go exactly the way you planned it. Exactly. But in those moments, what do we tend to do? Well, God, come on. I mean, if I do this, then won't you do this? And it's not about, it's about understanding, okay, look, it's not going to go according to our plan, but it's going to go according to his plan, and he will always be faithful to what he has planned and what he has spoken. And so if we continue to lean upon his word, we continue to rely upon the, the faithfulness and the trustworthiness of the word of God that will not change. If you ever come across a preacher or a Bible teacher or a book that says it's about the Bible and it kind of plays with the Word of God, just toss it out immediately because God's Word will not change. And so these are lessons from the Jordan River, but there's also purposes of the memorial stones. Go with me to chapter 4. I'm going to kind of speed up here a little bit. Um, There's a teaching lesson for future generations, chapter 4, verse 5 through 7. He says, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God in the midst of the Jordan. Take up each stone upon his shoulder according to the number of tribes of people of Israel, which is twelve, that this may be a sign among you when your children ask in a time to come, What do these stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. You see what God does? He says, Look, I'm doing this for your benefit. I'm doing this for Joshua's benefit. I'm doing this so you can understand my faithfulness to my word. But I'm also doing this, these memorial stones, or for the benefit of future generations. See, when God reveals something to us, it's not meant for us to hoard it, but to continue to share it, to share it with our family, to share it with our kids, to share it with our spouse, to share it with people we're in relationships with. That's part of our salvation. You are meant to share your salvation experience. That's a memorial stone you have in your life to share with people. This is when I understood how much God loved me. This is why I understood what God did for me, that I could be completely forgiven for all my sin, and He gave me eternal life. And so I've got this memorial stone to share with God. And the people learned once again through this act that God is the God over all creation. It was a teaching lesson not only for future generations, but it was a teaching lesson of remembrance. Jump with me in chapter 4 to verse 21. Again, the phrase, and if you ever come across a phrase that is similar within a short period of time in the Scripture, you should always make a notation of it. Because the same phrase is used again in verse 21. When your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? Chapter 4's subtitle should be, what do these stones mean? I mean, that's said twice. This is what they mean. You shall let your children know Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground, for the Lord your God dried up the waters of Jordan for you until you passed over as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which you dried up for us until we passed over, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty and that you may fear the Lord your God forever. They were to remember God's deliverance, His power, and His presence. The same thing we have to do with our own memorial stones, remember God's His power over sin and death, His presence in our life, His promise to give us eternal life. And so we are to mark these memorial stones in our own life, and we're going to do this here in a second. Before we do that, I want to kind of give you an example. Well, not me. Uh, Come here, Zane. Come on down. You're the next contestant. Zane uh, just got back a couple weeks ago from China on a mission trip. Uh, We were praying for him. I know many people in this church financially supported him on that ministry. And uh, Zane came in and talked with me at the beginning of this week and wanted to share a little bit about that trip. And he said, you know, I got like 30 pages. And as excited as I was to hear 30 pages, um, uh-huh. <laughs> uh, I said, well, no, I want to hear, but I said, before you even open that book, I want you to tell me three things off the top of your head that you took away from this trip that impacted you. Because I was, and that was in view of what we're talking about this morning. And so Zane shared about three things, and I'm not going to share it, but I'm going to kind of give him his prompt. The first one he shared about was with the Buddhist temple. So what did God reveal to you in that moment, and how did you grow in your understanding of God and, and, and who you are as a Christian in that moment with the Buddhist temple? So, yeah, one of the things, first of all, I want to start out by saying thank you to each one of you guys who supported me um, on this trip and made it possible. It's some of those things that you never forget and change you forever. 
Um, but so yeah, so one of the things that we did was we went to a couple different Buddhist temples. Um, and I know that they do that with short-term mission trips just to show us the need, show us the need of people there in China. Um, and so this temple, it was called Futan. It was this, it's so full of symbolism, it was this eight-story temple, you know, to symbolize the eightfold path of Buddhism. And each, each story had this Buddha that you could kneel and pray to. Um, and so we were there, and we were, we were walking around and just kind of observing, and we were taking time to pray over the people that were going there. Um, I was doing this with my friend Tony. Tony is a Chinese guy who has been a believer since he was young. He, was, he had an early relationship with some of the missionaries that we worked with, and he found Christ through that. And so as we were walking around this temple, you know, I, I was asking him, and I go, Tony, what do your people really need? You know, you live here in, in Yunnan, the province we were in. You live here, and I live a world away. What do your people really need? And he looked at me through a little bit of tears, and he said that my people need something that is not, they need faith in something that is not designed to confuse them. He said that all these people, they come here, and you, you, he looked down, and you look down, and you see this main, you see a Buddha right there that a mother is teaching her two-year-old how to pray to, how to prostrate to. Um, you look to your, you'd look to your right, and you'd see monuments to Confucius. We'd turn around, and you'd see um, monuments to different animals. Um, and you, you could watch as people would go to each one, just begging each deity, each symbol for favor. And, you know, as we watched that, he was just, we were both heartbroken because these people didn't have the hope. They were just hoping for favor in something, in anything, and hoping that, you know, some amalgam of whether it was Confucianism, Buddhism, animism, whatever it was, that somehow that would promise them a better life on the next cycle. And it was just terribly heartbreaking to see. So with the Buddhist temple, you kind of, you know, that perception of what people are going through kind of opened his eyes to that. And then another uh, memorial stone he had on that trip um, was with the, the, idea of the, the idea of no super Christians. <laughs> yeah, so that's one of the things that we talked about is that going on this trip, I had this kind of hyperinflated view of what I thought international missionaries were. You know, I thought that they were, they were the best of us, the people that, you know, God has crafted since a very young age to be the best possible Christian around. They were, they were the superheroes of our faith, right? Um, and that's not, those are not the people that I met there in China. These weren't, they, I mean, one of the things Mike and I talked about is how I don't really think there's such thing as a super Christian. Um, you're either a Christian or you're not. Um, and, but that's who these people were, is they were just normal people living their life for Jesus in another country. They had, they were, the people we were working with, there was two young families. One of them had only been there for three or four months with their two kids. Um, and they were youth pastors in the States, so that's what they did in China. They just had a bunch of high school students over to their house all the time, and they built relationships, and eventually they shared the gospel with them. And, yeah, it was a little slow-moving, because most of these people have been told that there is no God, or my personal favorite was that God's just a Western thing, um, which it's not. <laughs> um, but these people just, they just worked with these people. They, that's what they did, is they had businesses, and they worked with them, and they just lived their lives for Jesus in another country. And that was the only difference. The final thing, which I, I thought was, I think it was big for me. I mean, they're all really good, but this one really kind of like, yeah, that, that makes new sense or perfect sense, whatever you want to say. Uh, was this three foot of influence. Oh yeah, so this, this last memorial stone was something that, that God revealed to me in scripture while I was there. Um, and it was actually in the book of Nehemiah. I was, I was reading the book of Nehemiah because one of the things I was struggling with was this feeling of not being qualified. And I was like, eh, Nehemiah was just a cutbearer, so let's see what he had to say. 
Um, and I was reading through, and one of the things that he was known for was rebuilding the wall around Jerusalem. Um, and as I, was, as I was reading, one of the things that God really showed me in the passage was that he had a team of people. And he didn't station them just anywhere in town. But Nehemiah put the carpenters and the, mason, and the masons right in front of the wall that they were going to, the portion of the wall that they were going to be working on. They didn't have them traveling. It was just they would wake up and they would see their wall, see the portion that they were building. Um, and in that same day, I was reading a, a passage that Mike referenced earlier in his sermon was Psalm 119, 105. And what that says is that your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Um, and one of the things I tell the guys in my small group all the time is we live in a very well-lit world. When we think that God's word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path, you know, I think a lot of times about, like, standing downtown. You know, there's a street light every 15 feet. You can see everything. Or how many of us have driven in Springfield and forgot to turn our headlights on and not noticed? I do that, like, every other day. Um, Don't ride with you. Good. Yeah. <laughs> um, but... That's not what this passage is talking about at all. You know, this is talking about Davidic times where, if anything, we're talking about a candle, maybe, maybe a lantern. And so, so as an illustration that I, that I use with this passage sometimes with my small group is I'll pull out my phone and I'll turn my flashlight on and I'll point it right at my feet. And it gives you this three-foot circle of light. Um, and I say this is what this passage is talking about, is that God doesn't promise to show us everything but he promises to show us the next right thing, the next right step. And so when you pair this with Nehemiah, how, how God showed Nehemiah to put people right in front of where they were working, it kind of made, made sense that there's this three foot of influence that we all have, that I believe that God puts, there's people within three, foot of, three feet of us throughout our days. Um, you know, I think about my coworkers, who I'm often within three feet of. Um, they're right in front of me or right beside me. And those are the next right thing for me to reach out to them. It's not, do I know everything that's coming up? No. But I have this three-foot circle of light that God has given me, this three-foot circle of opportunity, of influence that we have. And, you know, that was probably my biggest memorial stone coming home of now what? Um, Zane is going to be sharing more on uh, July 21st, um, really it's just a snippet of, of what God did in his life and did in China and things like that, and there's going to be some pictures and stuff, and so, all right, Southern Baptist test, who remembers good potlucks? I, mm, that's my first amen of the day from some of y'all. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we're going to have a potluck. Potluck, what that means, in case you need some definition. Potluck is you bring in food. In the South, it's typically you bring in your best dish. Nope, there's another amen. So when we talk about food at Southern Baptist, you get more amen. But um, there are potlucks where people's best dish is Kentucky Fried Chicken just poured into a different container. And so that works too. Um, I've even seen people pass off Taco Bell tacos as their own. But... <laughs> Whatever you feel led to do, but we're going to have a potluck at 5 o'clock on July 21st in the evening. We're going to eat, we're going to fill our bellies, and then at 6 o'clock, Zane is going to share. He's going to have some pictures and share some of the stories and what God did in China, something kind of open our eyes, maybe something we can be praying about, something to pray for Zane about, um, and what God may be leading him to. Um, but I encourage you to come out and be a part of that. Um, so that would be in the evening, July 21st. Um, and next thing I'm going to do, uh, Ben and Elliot and uh, Ethan, come here. Come here, you handsome boys. I want you to share now. No, I'm just kidding. No. <laughs> you see his eyes for a second? What? Um, so one, two, three, okay? So whoever's one, whoever's two, whoever's three. Um, I want you to just kind of pass. So one, there you go. Ethan, two, Ben, you're three. So thing one, thing two, thing three. Give everyone one of those. Um <clears throat> Memorial stones. Bree, can you throw that up there real quick? I kind of shared about some of mine 
memorial stones, and I came up with 12. There's obviously other memorial stones I could have, but I was just kind of thinking this week, okay, what are some really pivotal things that happened in my life? And there's more and, and more in-depth can go with each and every one of these. Um, there are memorial stones in your life that God has placed as you've gone through moments of faith. And those memorial stones, just like for the Israelites, are for you to go back and to remember God's faithfulness and also for you to use to share into other people's lives about what God has done. And so I've given you some of my examples. You know, one memorial stone for you may be your salvation. Well, should begin with your salvation. That doesn't mean you need to remember the exact date, the time. You know, you could say I was right around, for me, I was right around five to six years of age. I know I, we lived in Milan, Missouri at the time. I knew it was during revival when I walked the aisle and my dad wasn't preaching. So I remember some things, but not everything. And then my baptism. And, and so those were memorial stones, things that I confessed Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. He wasn't just my dad or my mom's or my brother's Lord and Savior. I wanted him to be my Lord and Savior. And then I let it be known through following Jesus' example through baptism. Did everybody get one of those? Okay. Um, and then... You know, my Christian family. I grew up in a Christian family, which isn't a blessing everyone has. Um, but that is a memorial stone I have. It's things I learned through that, through that experience of growing up in a Christian family and the importance of, of being at church, the importance of reading my Bible and all that. You know, my college years, I went through this identity crisis of really who am I? Um, it's also some of my prodigal years where I got into things I shouldn't have gotten into. I mean, I knew it. Um, I wasn't oblivious to it. The Spirit was inside of me telling me, you shouldn't be doing this, but I would still go about doing it. And I got to a point where I didn't know even who I was or what I believed in. Because um, I said I was one thing, but I wasn't acting like that at all. And so I had this identity crisis, and there's more into that. My prodigal moment happened in Glorieta, New Mexico at a conference center. It was uh, summer of 1999, sounds like a song, but I was not summer of 1999, Louis Giglio was preaching. 1999, anybody remember what the big fear was? Y2K. You know, the world's going to end in 2000, so be ready. Well, there was a message that, that week about, about, you know, it probably won't happen at 1201, but it'll happen on like, you know, May 22nd, and what are you doing at that moment in time? When you get back in the routine of life, are you living for God or you're not? And God just like hit me, and, and I repented and returned to God. And then my mission trip and my calling into ministry, the solidifying of that calling, which is another story. In my first summer ministry, uh, when I worked for my dad and I worked for Youth for Christ uh, all in the same summer, I kind of shared my memorial stone with Jamie and our dating, our marriage, and there's more details you're going with that. You know, our kids, you know, if you have kids, I mean, isn't that for a father the most eye-opening experience about God the Father? I mean, that just, when, when Ethan was born, I was like, holy cow, God, how did you sacrifice your son? And then when Abby was born, it's like, I know I got two, but I still wouldn't give one of them up. And, and so that was a memorial stone. Wayne City uh, which is a whole other story. If, if you've ever read Frank Peretti, Piercing the Darkness, or This Present Darkness, that's, that's Wayne City, and I can talk about that later. Um, Carterville, I kind of shared a little bit about that, that moment of struggling with, with ministry, and, and yet, even now as I look back, uh, you know, keeping in contact with some of those students in Facebook, I see the fruit of what happened at Carterville. A lot of them are ministers or are on mission and, and involved in their church. And then my first pastorate and then the calling here to Stratford. All these things I can elaborate more on, but they're memorial stones for when I struggle with things in life, I can go back to these moments and remember when God was faithful, when I learned to trust God on a deeper, intimate level, when I could rely upon Him. And here's the thing we have to be very clear about as we see here in Joshua, and I promise I'm wrapping up with this. Just because God did it one way doesn't mean he's going to do it the exact way again. It was like the Red Sea, but it wasn't exactly like the Red Sea. Our God is a God of creation. and He creates new things. And so it may remind us of something in the past, but he wants to do something new. So we don't say, okay, God, this is the way you did it before, so this is the way I expect it again. It's not like our favorite restaurants we go to where we order the same food over and over again. It's like, okay, God, I know you have done this in my life in the past, and so I know I can trust you in this moment, and I wait to see how you're going to do it new this time. And so you, you all have homework. I know you didn't come to church wanting homework, but to spend time today, this week, 
thinking about memorial stones in your life that have helped you understand God on a deeper level to help you continue to remain faithful and continue to move past. And we have memorial stones at church, like the Lord's Supper, which we'll do next Sunday. We do baptisms. We gather and worship to proclamation that we belong to Christ and He calls us to Him. Um, we have times of prayer and just saying that we have a communion relationship with God. And it's important for us, guys, because you will struggle. But you may be here this morning and you need that first memorial stone that I've got. You may be here this morning and you've yet to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. He may be mom and dad or aunt and uncles or somebody in your life, but he's not yours. And it's important that you make that profession of faith, that you believe and understand God loved me. He sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to die for me. And he did, and he rose again that I could be forgiven. And when I place my faith and my trust in Jesus Christ and what he did for forgiveness of my sins, then I'll be saved. Maybe you need a second part of that memorial stone. that You've accepted Christ, but you've yet to publicly confess it through baptism. That may be something you just need to do in your life. Another memorial stone that you may need to have that we sometimes overlook is the idea of, of, of claiming this is where God wants me through, a church, through church membership. Membership doesn't come with dues or fees or uh, we don't have reward cards or anything like that. What it does is it states to God and it states to God's people, this is where God has led me, this is God, where God wants me, and so I'm coming here to be a part of what God is doing here. I want to be involved in this. And that may be something you need to do. I need to make this a memorial stone where I say, okay, God, I'm in at Harvest Hill because this is where you want me, and so I'm letting it be known to everyone who, who is also here. We're going to come this time of invitation. Jackson can come up and lead us. If you need to accept Jesus Christ, that's the first step. That's the first stone you need in your life. And I'm going to invite you to come down, and you just have to say, Pastor Mike, I want to be saved. I want to know what it is to be saved. And we can pray together, and we can talk about that. Maybe it's you have accepted Jesus Christ, but you've yet to follow him in baptism. We had a couple kids at VBS that are, that are going to be baptized here in the next couple weeks, and uh, so we've, we're going to get it on the calendar. And that's something maybe you're like, okay, that's something I need to do too. You just come down and say, I want to be baptized. I, I believe. Maybe it's just letting it be known this is where God wants to be, and I want to know what it means to be a member. And, and I want to make that known that this is where I belong as a church in a church family. So we're going to pray together real quick. Please, please, please. I know it's going to be so easy to leave this on your chair. Um, and put it in your Bible, put it in your purse, put it in your back pocket. But spend some time with it. I guarantee you it is for your benefit your spiritual walk with God. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for the things you do in our life, Lord, the way you invest in our life in a personal way so we can remember that you are faithful, you are powerful, you have provided. And Lord, we come this time of invitation, Lord, where I know there's brothers and sisters in Christ in here that are struggling, just like I've struggled. They may be going through a time of loss. They may be going through a time of doubts and uncertainty. Father, remind them of who you are and what you have done in their life so they can stand upon that rock. Thank you for this day. Thank you for what you're doing, Lord. For anyone who needs to respond this moment, whether it be by salvation or for baptism or just wanting to know more about being a part of this church family officially, we'll give them the courage just to walk down this aisle in this moment not about anybody else. It's about you and being obedient to what you've laid upon our heart. So let this time be worthy of your name. Praise on your son's name. Amen. Mm -hmm.